0: said that money makes the world go round and it all begins with those who take the financial risk to make a profit. The French word entrepreneur literally means to undertake and today's episode of Good Things Happens celebrates entrepreneurship. Joining me to provide insight into their entrepreneurial lives we have Christina Brun-Peterson, chief people officer and one of four co-founders of Worksome, a Danish business whose mission is to make work more flexible by using technology to remove the friction between employers and their workforce. We have Todd Keski, chief executive officer, whose mission is to use chemistry to build a better tomorrow. And as the inventors of EcoMate, Todd's company has revolutionized phone production to eliminate the need for harmful CFCs. And we're also joined by Tasnim Giawadwala, Global Head of City Commercial Bank. Tasnim and her team specialise in serving entrepreneurial businesses with ambitions to grow internationally. Welcome, Christina, Todd, and Tasnim. Christina, I'd love to hear your story. You started Worksome in 2017. What were you doing professionally before your startup?
1: So I was uh, I was working at a Danish telco company uh, working within the HR space. I've been working as an HR professional all my career, um, and I think it was it was really within that space that I felt that I was part of, you know, many processes and structures filled with friction in terms of how we staff effectively, how we attract and retain. Um, effectively. So I think basically, you know, reflecting on how can we build a product that can support companies better in managing their hybrid workforces um, and and the future of work and understanding that we have to incorporate more flexibility really resonated with me and my co-founders, obviously. So that's kind of where we came together with our different perspectives, but basically trying to tackle the same problem of how do we support companies moving forward, not only in terms of agility, but also ensuring competitiveness, you know, on the same side allowing companies and individuals to, to incorporate more flexibility.
0: And Todd, phone Supplies is a family business, right? Uh, were you always destined to join it and how do you prepare to join a family
2: business? Wow. Hitting the heavy questions early, huh? You know, I I think when you prepare to get into a, a family business, you have to be given the freedom to not be pushed into it. I was not forced into the business. In fact, I was encouraged to look elsewhere first, which I in fact, did. Worked for Siemens Medical Systems prior to coming to FSI. uh, And that was a very good step for me, you know. And so who knows what the future will bring uh, with FSI as far as the family goes. Uh, I will be doing everything I can to at least maintain the family culture, even if There's not a Kesky running the helm. That is something that I'll be working over probably the next 10, 15 years.
0: Um, Tasnim, I know from previous conversations uh, just how much you enjoy serving entrepreneurs, uh, but I also know that you've had quite a wide variety of experiences in financial services. What do you most enjoy coming back to City Commercial Bank?
1: Um, I, th-
3: I think what I what I really enjoy most about coming back to City this second time round is, you know, how easy it's actually been to sort of slot back in um, to the, C- the City network. And one of the things that I always cherish, because I was at City it's for 21 years before I left, when I was leaving, the thing that um, hit, hit me the hardest was leaving, you know, my colleagues and my friends at City and, um, you know, coming back and reconnecting with everybody. And then, you know having the opportunity to lead this really amazing and, and very interesting, both um, you know mentally stimulating for me, but also in terms of just the vast opportunity we have to grow the business and to serve these fast-growing mid-sized companies. There's nothing more exciting than helping your clients achieve their ambitions.
0: Wonderful. So today's subject is entrepreneurship. Christina, do you think entrepreneurs, I'm going to ask everybody this question, but uh, are entrepreneurs born or made? Did you think that you always maybe had it in you that you were going to start a business or is it something that it's an opportunity that opens and you jump into it?
1: I would go with the latter. I think from my perspective, at least, I was not too sure that I wanted to build my own business. We basically came up with an idea that was it was too good to not, you know, push through. And I think in order to to succeed, I think you you really need to start there and not, you know, necessarily driven from a passion of wanting to build something, but you would need to point out that this idea is just too good to not pursue. And I think that's kind of where it starts. So so early on you would need to understand the market opportunity, assess with potential investors, understand, you know, get a team rallied around the idea to kind of you know test this out and I think you would need to do that early on. I guess it's a combination, right? Because you can have you can have it both ways, but at least from me it's it's not something I I knew that I was going to do someday. It was basically because the idea of and came up and it was obvious that we had to do something with that.
2: Could I add on that? So, you know, it didn't really dawn on me until right now. I don't like that question. Born or made. You know, we're we're all born all of us on this podcast, we didn't have a role in that whatsoever. But what we choose to do with our life, we actually do have. So maybe we're all born entrepreneurs, but some of us are dealt better hands. So For instance, my dad, he became an entrepreneur. That's not how he started. And then all his friends around him were entrepreneurs. So the environment in which I grew up was very different than, say, someone whose dad was or, you know, family um, upbringing was around blue collar workers. That said, there are plenty of people born into that type of situation who become entrepreneurs. I think we need to redefine some of those questions and leave those historical questions behind and evolve. No different than Christina's evolving her business for the hybrid workforce. 10 years ago, were we really talking about a hybrid workforce? I don't think so. Like it's changed. It's just a better question. How do we maybe develop entrepreneurs better? And we all can't be entrepreneurs. You know, one of the things I need to do is start letting go of things which is tough when you're in charge. Tasman, what are your your observations on that?
3: You know, I I sort of violently agree with what Todd is saying, because, I mean, we've got thousands of clients all over the world, um, tens of thousands, actually. And um, they come from all walks of life. They all started out, they've all got their own story, actually. And every story is very, very unique around how they started you know, one client's story that I remember quite distinctly, you know, they liked drinking Corona beer and it wasn't available in their country. So they started importing it. Um, and then they started supplying their friends who also liked drinking it. Um, and then they got into other brands and then they started supplying nightclubs. And, and, you know, the business grew from from there into the biggest importer of drinks in that country. Obviously, a lot of hard work and effort, I'm sure, went into that. But it can be as simple as that. The startup story—it's just a personal need that then grows. Or and we we also serve serial entrepreneurs as well. That start up a company, like very focused on a particular pain point that they've identified somewhere. Um, they start it up, they flip it, they sell it um, or list it, and they move on to their next project and their next. And and sometimes the projects are very different as well. It's quite Interesting how some of these serial entrepreneurs work. They can be, you know, solving a HR kind of um, solution, then they'll flip into consumer goods, then they'll move into healthcare. So it's not always a one size fits all at all around um, entrepreneurship. But I think one thing that I do think is a common against all of these kind of various clients that I see and meet and, um, you know, hear their stories is the energy actually, that they all exhibit. There is this real kind of self-starter, high energy, you know, don't take no for an answer. That type of person is a, a sort of a common factor. It doesn't mean to say, you know, they're all very extrovert, you know, not, not all of them are, but there, there's always this kind of inner strength, inner belief, conviction in, in whatever it is they're doing, and they're willing to go, you know, to whatever length are required to be successful.
0: I, I love you rejecting the question, Todd. And I, I also completely agree with you Um, as someone who never thought I was going to start my own business and did. And, and it, it comes back to what Christina said. I, I've interviewed a lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of people who are self-employed. And, you know, invariably, people will always say there was a need that was provoked. I, it's not just about opportunity that I wanted to make money. It was there was a problem that needed solving. And maybe that comes to Tasnim's point about having the curiosity and energy to do that, um, Christina, what what other characteristics do you think define people who go out and seek their own path?
1: So I, I very much agree with uh, with what you said, Tasnim. I um I think it's it's the, you know people are are driven, you know, passionate people being on a mission to achieve something. um, I think impact is also usually a a characteristic I see. So people want to make a difference. And this is is definitely something I I, I can relate to myself as well. I think usually what kind of drives you towards, you know, starting um, a business um, is is basically because you have identified a challenge that you want to solve. And that's kind of where the problem solving you know, mindset is already in place um, initially. And that's kind of, you know, expands throughout the journey. And that's kind of the sentiment you go with whilst building the business.
3: Sorry, if I can just maybe add a comment. No business is easy. You know, whatever industries people are operating, there, there's always unique challenges that people face and knockdowns that they'll have. And especially in the early stages, there's quite a lot of knockdowns. And I think that having that, that kind of strength to just get up again and, you know, face up to a challenge to bounce back in the face of adversity. And, um, you know, I, I think that, that that kind of characteristic becomes quite important in entrepreneurship, because it's not like you have this idea, and then it's going to be successful. I mean, there's a there's a lot of mountains to climb before the success actually hits or not or not. In fact, there's, there's actually many failures along the way. Not all human beings are, are good at taking failure, I think and and recovering from it yes i think that's that's kind of an important characteristic of entrepreneurs that they they are able to you know take the failure learn from it bounce back and have the resources not just um financial resources i'm talking but you know the mental human resources as well to be able to kind of you know continue down the path
2: todd i can see you smiling and uh, nodding does that resonate todd Oh, for sure. Yeah, I, I, I think I'm, I'm fairly resilient to um, failure. In fact, I think that's uh, a lot of my upbringing. Um, you know, in lower education, um, especially, I didn't catch on quick, right? And so I had to just power through and it just took me longer, you know, and then at some point in time, more light bulbs turned on. And it was my perseverance that really carried me through. What I found is in my work life, it's much easier to bounce back from those failures than it is in my personal life. I'm I'm more aware on the work side and I, I have some blind spots on the personal side. And, you know, you got to kind of pay attention to that, too, because we're all one person. We have a work world and a personal world, and they both have to be in a good spot for us to be the best who we can be. Christina, I can see you nodding.
1: We, we talk a lot about mental resilience at worksome as well. And I think it's that's that's a, a really good point. I guess just the premise for you know how we operate, and that's every every mistake is a learning opportunity for us to grow as a company um, as individuals. so it's it's important for me as well that we we have an environment where where we can kind of become that learning organization that I want us to become. And that comes with, you know, understanding. Um, and taking you know basically seeing the failures of the company as these learning opportunities and make sure that you do learn from them and share experience and have the awareness around how to build back better or you know how to improve um, until the next time or the challenge uh, arises so i think and that comes with a lot of trust so so if you really want to have that mindset and you want to have that you know throughout your organization you would also need to to invest a lot in in trust you know making sure that you have that organizational trust installed everywhere in the company um, because otherwise I, I i don't believe it will necessarily have the impact you uh you want
0: i'm getting a lot of sense of forward momentum when i'm hearing words like energy and and it seems to really set entrepreneurs apart I used that word mission right at the beginning in the introduction and that kind of gets overused, but I do sense that there's a mission in everything that you're saying is that, you know, we're going forward, we've got to come up with something new or we want to solve some problems.
2: Am I hearing right? I think so. I think you heard that right. Or that, you know, that I think that's an accurate interpretation of what's been said. You know, sometimes I think us entrepreneurs or leaders, we have to pay attention to the high energy that we do bring, right? We're very passionate we're very high energy. And, you know, maybe the vision is very clear in our minds. Sometimes we have to take a breath and say, did we articulate that vision? This is also something I need to work on. And um, who am I leaving behind by not um, effectively communicating that vision? Uh, And in family business, that's tricky, tricky and different because you you have the business side and you have a family side. You got to pay attention to all those um, things. So it's also something I'm working on for 2023. Christina, you've
0: expanded incredibly quickly internationally. Was, was that always going to be part of the plan?
1: So obviously, um, when you're on a mission to become a global company, we are after expansion. But of course, we want to make sure that it's, It's meaningful in the sense that, you know, we have a a beneficial situation when we do so, and it's well-planned and coordinated with our initiatives and our products and uh, potentially partnerships. So when we, for instance, um, expanded into the UK was actually because we landed a big client that we could kind of partner close with. Um, And I think in the beginning, we, we saw a lot of value coming from some sort of co-creation so we were always looping back to our clients to really understand what are their needs and we kind of created the product um you know always circulating back and 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 i think that's um uh, that's what we will continue to do for sure and uh, and then again we have mapped out strategic markets that are important for us to be in as well but that also comes from and ask of our clients, existing clients as well. So I think that's that's going to be our strategy um, going forward. But obviously, yes, achieving the mission of becoming the, the, the platform for the future of work, then, then we will need to, to focus a lot on expansion.
3: If I may ask a question. So when you started up, did you want to be global from the point of startup or, or is it something that you did at the, at the beginning, like domestically? And then, and then sort of later on, you thought, oh, you know, maybe we can go global.
1: So basically, we, we, uh, we were pretty set on the global scope from the very beginning. We were building this, you know, tech case, you could say. And we knew that the Danish market was not that, you know, big or attractive, uh, to be fair. So I think full transparency, the reason why we founded the company in Denmark is because we're all Danes <laughs> living here. Um, but we, we pretty pretty early on, we kind of knew that um, yes, we were we were going international, globally. That's also why we were from the very beginning. I was very focused on diversity, and making sure that we had you know many international profile. We were outnumbered as, as Danes early on, and that was fully intentional. So, so I think we really wanted to to, to get the right offset um, and to to be able to to tackle that conversation at a global uh, scale.
0: Todd, you as a second generation leader, I think you were instrumental in global expansion,
2: or I certainly read that. Is that right? And and what dictated that? Yeah. So mostly I wanted to, um, but I would say it was also heavily pushed regulatory by uh, the United Nations. We did some work with uh, what's called the UNDP, United Nations Development Program, who pushes technologies from developed countries to Article 5 or underdeveloped countries, but mostly because I wanted to. And my parents had had some global aspirations before. I mean, they, they sold some product globally on a very, very small scale. So uh, it was also an ambition just to build upon that. You know, early on in my career, when I first started with them, surely it was a lofty ambition, but it wasn't really my focus. I think a lot of your competitors are global companies. So did it feel a bit like David and Goliath? It is very much a David and Goliath situation. You know, they're conglomerates. And so the businesses that specifically we're in, we're about the same size, right? And that's not necessarily understood by customers or Jobo Public because, you know, their conglomerates share the same name, right? But look behind the curtain. The specific industry of which we're in, we're about the same size. And even that was a little bit unknown to me until last couple of years. Taslim,
0: you know, you work for a very large organization in city. I think over 200,000 employees. But I sense that uh, there's quite an entrepreneurial spirit within your team as part of the commercial bank, because you're serving entrepreneurs. And it, is that important that you recruit with that mindset? How do you perpetuate that culture?
3: Yeah, so um, absolutely, it's a fundamental part of our culture. And the reason for it is because of the sheer range of, of clients that we serve. I mean, we we serve clients in the commercial bank from $10 million sales um, all the way up to $3 billion. And even above that, we've got even larger clients than that in, in, in the commercial bank. Um, so we're able to support the clients through their entire growth journey from kind of startup to them being... A very large very global business and so when I'm thinking about the types of bankers that we have and that we want to recruit people who can can kind of really um, think very much about how they partner with the client through that growth journey that the clients have is very very important because you know clients don't stand still There are many, many things that the clients are trying to achieve for themselves. Some are looking at, you know, innovation, product development. Some are looking at global expansion. So, having bankers that are multifaceted and can kind of understand all of that um, is very important. Um, I I would also say that the role of the banker over the last, I'm going to say, ten to twenty years, has completely changed. You know, if I think about bankers of the past, they would probably try and wow their clients with their financial knowledge, you know, sort of blind them with science or financial science. But you can't really do that anymore. Like, because I think clients are very sophisticated. You know, clients know so much about what's available. And um, I think we, as bankers, we have to go beyond that and really think um, to actually what Todd was talking about with about solutions, right? Not just here's a loan, or, you know, let me take a deposit from you. It's it's much more about the services we can provide to help our clients. And, you know, we've helped clients automate their processes. We've helped them kind of, you know, really manage their, their liquidity, you know, in a very, very sophisticated way. And having bankers that understand all that and that can, you know, think about the solutions that City can provide and be able to tailor that to what the client's needs are is, is, is that's our calling card, basically. You know, we were talking about entrepreneurs and their willingness to change and learn. Same goes for the bankers, right? Because they have to keep up with all of this. If the bankers are sort of, you know, not evolving themselves and not learning themselves and not keeping up to date with what's going on in the environment, it becomes very difficult to serve your clients well. Christina
2: Todd. You know, I can say as a client, I really feel that. Um, and you know, in our relationship with city is I would say relatively new, but the team that's calling on us, um, you can tell they treat our business as if we're their only customer that really comes across in many ways. They've taken a genuine interest. You can tell it's authentic. You can tell right away, boy, they, they provide some assistance and give us opportunities and things we wouldn't have had. So I totally agree with everything you said. That's tough to do in a big company like that it's far easier to do in a family-based company that has you know less than 200 people
3: you know one of the the, that word that you just used there Todd family um it's actually a word that we 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 do try and use we call it the commercial banking kind of family and sort of try and preserve that that kind of nimbleness and and that connectivity but it is, it is hard because, of course, you are in a very large company with, um, you know, a lot of different things kind of going on. Um, but I think it's, it's, you know, whatever situation you're in, if you can preserve your culture and um, your, your roots, um, it, it just it just helps. And, and I think it also helps to attract people as well, right, because there's a certain type of person that kind of gets attracted to, to this type of opportunity as well.
0: Christina, last question, as we're kind of running out of time, I'm, I'm interested in your view of building culture. You're six years in. Uh, you mentioned culture earlier. Um, are you very aware of what's part of your culture and what's not? Do you, do you spend a lot of time talking about it or is it something that's growing organically?
1: So I think from early on, you would have to make it a conscious act to steer it in the right direction of course you want to make sure that it's you know evolves organically but you would need to provide some some sort of framework that you do articulate so so yes to answer your question um works and we are pretty explicit about what we want and what we really what we're trying to achieve with our company culture and this is something you would you would need to re-emphasize you know over and over and over again so how we work with it is basically to allow yeah a framework um articulating some values that you feel is authentic scalable basically what you want to achieve and then share share that with with the company and then make sure you have some strong culture ambassadors within the management team for instance and other places in the organization that you kind of play strategically in that communication but also interactions on it on a daily basis to reinforce culture you want but then also i think leave some room for people and teams to kind of figure out themselves what that means to them so again making sure that people can you know conduct themselves with a high degree of authenticity and have that sense of belonging for everyone in the organization so i think that you know that's that's kind of why i I don't want to you know emphasize a one size fits all because i think we we have to provide some sort of framework, but, but also um, leaving room for the differences to, uh, to exist.
0: Todd, you're nodding. Agree with that? Do you follow similar principles or is yours more established?
1: Yeah, no,
2: I, I agree with what she's saying. I mean, I'm in a different spot. You know, I inherited a culture and I would say most of that culture was good. My goal is to preserve the good parts of our culture, which is most of it, but also change and or evolve the parts of the culture that didn't. For instance, you know, at FSI we're very empathetic. Some would say empathetic to a fault. I would say if it were at a fault, it hasn't hurt us that detrimentally yet and so to continue being empathetic. Differently, one of the things that Um, we need to continue enhancing that I've I've done a decent job, but I need to just not lose sight of it is creating safe spaces for others to communicate their big ideas. Um, I'm doing that with our engineering department and just kind of letting them drive the wheel. They have the expertise, they have the youth, the energy, the knowledge, and, you know, they're they're automating some of our processes, which will help save us money. And so it's, it's things like that. You know, I, I don't want to abandon the good things that got us here, but I want to change and evolve some of the culture pieces that will take us into the new eras. And and Taslin, Commercial Bank's been
0: identified by Jane Fraser and Paco as one of the priority businesses, the growth businesses, and you've got great growth plans, I know. T- talk to us about those and how do you hold on to that entrepreneurial culture as you grow?
3: Yeah, so I mean, you know, we're obviously a very mature business. Um, you know, City's been around for more than 200 years so, you know, there is an embedded culture. But over the last 20, 25 years, there's been, you know, multiple cultures that have kind of merged together through various, you know, mergers and acquisitions that have occurred um, to create the city that we have today. And, you know, as we move forward in the commercial bank in particular, Jorianne, just answering your question, you know, we are growing um, very fast because we, hit, we we also have very big ambitions to grow our business um and expand um globally and serve more and more clients, you know, to hire those people to what um Todd and, and Christina sort of indicated earlier. Yeah, they've got to be integrated into City. Um, you know, we're gonna have new bankers that are be going to be joining from other um other banks, maybe even other industries as well, where we're trying to be a bit creative about where we hire bankers from as well. And, you know, that's that's going to be a heavy lift on us to make sure that, you know, we teach them well, um, we integrate them into the culture, we integrate them into um, the firm to create that same kind of belonging of of somebody who has been here for a long time so that you know the the very nice things that Todd was saying about um, some of our bankers you know is is throughout and it's throughout um for the new hires that we that that we make as well so um you know I mean we're a, a typical as typical a service company as they come in that you know our biggest asset is our people So, you know, we're going to continue to invest in our our bankers, both from a pure kind of, I'm going to say, hard technical skills perspective, but also, you know, all the soft skills um, that are are needed. Somebody asked me um, a little while ago, when you're hiring people, what do you, you know, what is the most important skill that you look for? And um, my answer to that was adaptability, you know, because we can we can teach people pretty much anything. But but they've got to be adaptable enough to pick it up, and kind of run with it. So I, so I think, as you know, as we think about the future for for the commercial bank, I think having yeah adaptable, high energy bankers that you know are very, very much orientated in providing good service is going to be the mark of how we become successful.
0: Wonderful. I fear we've run out of time. Um... We've talked a lot about energy, but what I've heard from all of you is you make everything seem very clear and simple. So it's been inspiring for me to hear all your observations today. Thank you for joining us and being our guest on Good Things Happen Today, Christina, Todd and Tasnim. Thank you very much.
3: The views expressed herein are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views of Citigroup Global Markets Inc. or its affiliates. All opinions are subject to change without notice. Neither the information provided nor any opinion expressed constitutes a solicitation for the purchaser of any security. The expressions of opinion are not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. Citibank NA, FSI, and WorkSim are not affiliated and are independent companies. Citi has onboarded both FSI and Worksome as a client. The speakers' views are their own and may not necessarily reflect the views of Citi or any of its (laughs) affiliates.